You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Bezras Hashem, tonight we're going to continue with Maisa Mebitachon from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. And we left off last week with this Melech who came to see if there was anybody in his kingdom who worried less than he did. And suddenly he sees this simple Jew in a broken down home with foundations sunken into the mud, windows very close to the dust, and a broken in roof. And he sees that this person was Malay Simcha Beloidaika Suddenly, the king, who felt that it was impossible for there to be anybody in this world, the world of Simpson and a world of concealment and a world where Hashem's presence is deliberately and constitutionally hidden and concealed for the sake of there being a world, the king, the Melech Malchei Amlachim, comes to discover that here is a simple Jew who's playing a simple song on his harp, eating simple food and drinking a simple drink, Malay Simcha filled with Simcha, without any worry whatsoever. So the Maisa continues that the king enters into the house and he asks him how he's doing. And the host of the house, this, this person, this Jew, he answers him. Now something of of incredible precision over here is that in many of Rabbi Nachman's stories, especially the Maisa Me'oreach, that was told over on the first night of Hanukkah, we find that the hosts in Rabbi Nachman's stories are very trepidatious when it comes to welcoming in guests, unaware of where the guests originate from, unaware of whether they bear good news or bad news, unaware if they're devious in nature or they're expressive in a positive way. The host is always very delicate in the inching along that the guest has when he enters into his home. But over here, we don't hear of any knocking on the door. We don't hear of any surprise as the king enters into his home in his disguise. But rather simply, somebody appears in the home as if nothing changes. No guest, a guest, a stranger, no stranger. This individual, this host is not perturbed. He's not knocked off of his game. He's not sent into an anxiety spell but rather he simply answers him calmly, And the king in his disguise looks around and he sees the table that is filled with all sorts of delicacies and food. Ultimately, as Rabbi Nachman teaches us in the Maisa, in truth, the simpletons, those simple impoverished individuals with their broken down homes, it might appear as if they have all the delicacies in the world, but in truth, all they're eating is their bread. Like the Maisa from the Tom, the simpleton, who would say to his wife, he would say, bring me my steak, and she would bring him his stale bread. And he would say, this is the most delicious steak I've ever had. And he would say, bring me my wine, and she would bring the old water, and he would say, this is the most delicious wine in the world. 
And as I had this chus of hearing from Rav Akiva Erlinger Shlita, Talmud Mufak of, of Rav Itchemeyer Shlita, is that Be'emes, when the simpleton is eating that bread, it's not that he was pretending to taste steak. And when he was drinking, it's not that he was pretending to drink wine, but rather he actually had a te'ima of the basar. He actually tasted the meat and he actually tasted the wine. That like the man, that, that miracle of emuna, man and emuna have a similar etymological root. That when a person taps into the emuna, that deep emuna that resides within the broken externalities of this world, a person quite literally has the capacity of being toye matam ruchani, tasting a spiritual taste that is not in line with the external casings of reality. So he had all of these different ma'achalim, but theoretically all he had was a simple piece of bread. And he was only male simcha. Now, Rabbi Nachman in this story uses the word rak very often. Rak male simcha. He was only male simcha. And the question is, why couldn't he just have written that this person was male simcha? Why is it that he was only male simcha? Almost as if it's coming to exclude any other emotions from that space. And Chazal tell us that achim verakim miyuten heima. That anytime we see the word ach and anytime we see the word rak, which means only or specifically, it's coming to take away any other option. It's coming to shave away other ideas and signify that it's specifically and uniquely this particular idea. And the Arizal kind of continues, and the Arizal has many languages where he darshans the achin verakin, again, to highlight that there's a capacity within the mind of gvuros, of severity, that have the ability to close off the mind from anything else. And here we gain an inkling into the secret of this simple individual's, this poor individual playing on his silent harp, where his joy comes from. His joy comes not from having reasons to necessarily be happy, but by not allowing himself to feel anything but happiness. Rak male simcha, that was the only thing that he would allow himself to do. Any other deviating thought, any other emotion that entered into his mind was witnessed, it was not judged, it was not grabbed held of and forced out of the room. Because as Rabbi Nachman teaches us so often, if I grab my negative thoughts or my negative emotions by the lapel, and I'm trying to force them out of the sanctuary of my mind, I've already lost because by focusing my attention on the negative, I've already gotten myself dirty by the negative. But when a person just chooses to be mimayit, what enters into their mind, to allow the mind to operate as a constricting vessel that blocks out unwanted thoughts, at that point, the person has the assurance that all I'm going to allow into the territory of my mind to cross the threshold of my mind is male simcha, rak male simcha. Now, it's not that simple joy that one would expect, which is by way of easiness and relaxation, but rather it's the intense joy that we've come to understand from the world of Rabbi Nachman, which is a demand towards joy. I need to work very, very hard to ensure that joy remains the only option for me, because the moment I allow for other options in my life, I'm already lost. Because if I truly contemplate the likelihood of joy or the possibility of joy, sometimes it's too overwhelming. And therefore, a person has to grab hold of that koyach of miyut, that minimizing factor, that strength and severity of the mind that operates like a steel door that closes down shut on negative thoughts. Leshem Shweivachaloyim and his Maimer Hanifla Shar Hapoyna Kadim in the end of Haktamusu Sha'arim describing the Olam Hamalbush, 
he points out that according to the Arizal, the Shemos that we associate with the Mochen, that the names of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that are associated with Chachma, with wisdom, with Bina, with understanding, and with Das, with knowledge, which are theoretically ascendant traits within the individual, are in fact the names of HaKadosh Baruch Hu associated with severity. And the Leshem explains that don't think that this is a contradiction to the notion that the mind of the individual is the loftiest spot in spite of the fact that the names are associated with strict judgment, because in truth, the deepest power of the mind is the capacity to shut the doors sturdily and firmly on negative thoughts. That it's only when my mayach, when my mind is made of barzel, when it becomes bronzed walls that block out unwelcome thoughts is when I can ensure to myself that I have simcha, because at this point, it's a maisa in bachira. I get to choose whether I'm happy. It was only Simcha. And what this host does, what the simple Jew does when he sees this disguised individual come into his room, is not only does he not react negatively, but, but he welcomes his guests and he honors his guests with drinking. And he drank towards the king. And this individual not only offered the guest a drink, but he drank in honor of this individual. He drank towards the king. He offered honorifics towards this person. And the melech drank as well for the sake of love. Now here's an incredible thing. There's a relationship that takes place on an equalized playing field. There's a giver and a receiver, and they both operate in the singular playing field. But then there's that hierarchy where I offer something up to another individual. When it comes to the hisairis that emerges from below, when it comes to that which is referred to as isarusa dilatata, the inspiration from below, or mayin nukvin, or feminine waters that are aroused by way of desire and yearning towards something, there's always an aspect of teshuka, of yearning upwards, of that which is lower, desiring, and demanding from itself the procession upwards. And this drinking towards the melech, towards this guest, is the sense that this individual sitting in his home, unsurprised by the surprising visitation of a disguised guest, he wants to utilize this opportunity to awaken something new. Vishasa el hamelech. He sanctified the experience by directing his drinking, by directing his motivation towards something, towards a particular goal. And then, like it is in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when we are me'ira the ahava from below, when we awaken the mayim tachtoinim, when we awaken that isarusa dilatata, that inspiration from below, when we awaken those aroused waters of mayim nukvin, mamela, naturally speaking, there is going to be a spiritual influx that descends from on high. This is the recipe that we awaken desire from below, and that desire that we awaken, in fact, draws down the spiritual light from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that now invigorates us and illuminates us with more spirituality. And we see this here, that by drinking towards the king, by drinking towards and for the sake of the king, by looking upwards towards the guest in desire, the melech in return drinks. Why? Because of ahava. There's a love that breaks free of all shuros. There's an ahava that a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants to show his love to the Jewish people. Now, the way the Mikubalim see this interrelationship between inspiration from below and descent from on high is cause and effect. By way of my 
emergence from below to above, through mayim nukvin, through that feminine quality of yearning and desire, which is born out of deficiency and lack, and then that masculine expression of fullness that descends down afterwards, we see it as a cause and effect. One leads to another. Step one leads to step two. But what the Mikubalim point out, the Chazdei David, the Talmud of the Rashash, brought to printing by the Leshem Shavay in the back of Eitz Chaim, he writes very famously that in truth, it's not a cause and effect, but rather Haman Ihu Hamad, that the feminine quality of water that descends from, that ascends from below is the very same masculine quality of water that descends from above. That the motivation and the yearning that we awaken down here goes up and it's clarified and it goes through all of the processes of clarification until it comes back down to us in the guise of spiritual insight that the yearning that we have for fullness is not separate from the fullness, but rather it is the yearning that eventually transforms itself into the fullness itself. And so here we have this person drinking towards the king and then the king being overwhelmed with ahava and to drink as well for this person. And the king didn't only stick around to drink and to eat, in his disguise to see if this person was happy. But he waited around for this person to go to sleep as well. And he saw that this person was truly happy without a worry in the world. Now, why is it that the king wasn't satisfied with seeing the joy and the lack of worry that this individual had in his drinking and his eating? Why is it that he had to stick around to see what it would be like when he went to bed? And it could be that there's two different types of avoida that a person has. There's Avaida, there's the divine worship, there's the psycho-spiritual experience of awakeness, of being awake, of being part of the world, of participating in the world, of engaging the world, where my job is to conquer, my job is to overcome in the sunlight of the mind and the power that human beings feel that they have. And then there's another element of Avaida, which is when we go to sleep, when a person becomes powerless again, where a person acknowledges their own most human deficiencies, biyadcho afkidruchi, where we're forced to acknowledge that in the end of the day, all we can do, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is place ourselves in your hand. Biyado Afkiruchi, the Arizal points out, based on the Zohar HaKadosh, is an acronym for Be'er. It's a well. It represents the capacity to go down deep, subterraneanly deep, into the depths of this worldly experience, into those confined spaces, into that dark, cramped space, and nevertheless to draw forth waters from there. And so what we find over here is that the king wanted to see if this person was truly happy. And so it's one thing to see this person happy in the wakefulness of the day, in encountering another human being, in drinking and eating. It's an entirely other thing to see how a person goes to sleep at night. Because when a person is in their own most isolation, in their solitude, in their howling solitude, in that loneliness of faith, it's specifically there that sometimes a person gives in to the crippling anxieties that affect human beings. And there, they'll be echad bepeh and echad belev. There, they won't be in line with what they pretended to be before. And so the king stuck around and he saw that mamish at nighttime also, this yid, this person, this simpleton, is as joyous and without worry whatsoever. Uba boker amar hamelech, v'gam hu amar, v'liva asamelech, v'shala melech And in the morning... The king woke up, then the host woke up, and he saw that he was very happy in the morning. And the host walked out with his guests. He was Malava, his guest. He escorted his guest. Now, escorting a guest is an incredible notion. 
as the Mekubalim point out, and this is something that we write very lengthily about when it comes to the Perish, like the Yitzchak, which Amir Hashem will come out as Hashem soon, on Maisumibitachon. But suffice it to say that the secret of Levia, the secret of escorting the guest, is ultimately a rectification of a lack of ethical awareness of what the other person needs. But there are cloud, we feel self saturated and self assured in our homes. And yes, we allow the outside to invade the inside. We welcome guests who are machnias ereach because we know that the ereach carries gifts with them. As the Baal Shem Tov points out, that ereach, a guest, is the language of orches. It's the light of ches, it's the light of bina, it's that which appears surprisingly, unexpectedly. But it's another thing entirely to be malave our guest, to walk out of our home, to walk out of the security of our home and our self-saturatedness and our sense of self and our egoisms and to bear ourselves to the extremities of the outside as we engage with the guest no longer protected by the comforting walls of our own habitat. Now this is very much tied up with the concept of egla arufa, which has everything to do with a lack of the ability to be malave the lack of the ability to kind of walk outside of our homes with a person. But here the host is not only sending this guest off, but he's willing to descend deeply into that guest's world and empathically enter into his space by escorting him out. Vishal HaMelech and the Melech asks him, Where do you take all of this from? This king who's disguised as a guest, this king who's overwhelmed by the notion that there is a person, truly a person in this world, this world of Tzimtzum, this world that Rabbi Nachman says is Mamesh Gehenim sometimes, to find an individual who's not only very happy, but without worry whatsoever. There are many people who are very happy, but their hearts are filled with worry. And their happiness is echad bepeva, echad belev, one in the mouth and one in the heart. But to find an individual who's truly happy without worry whatsoever is a nace. Because to find a person who is settled with Yishavadas, with the light of Bitachon, is a miracle for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to discover. And so he says, From where do you take all of this? Now the king obviously is already hinting to the answer in his question, because Where do you take all of this from? Can also be read as Clearly you draw this gift from the world of nothingness. You clearly draw this gift from the highest level of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in the world. That awareness that nothing means anything and ultimately everything is Enoin Mavadoi, Veles Asr Panimine, and not to be stuck in the concepts of Soiviv Kalalman, the surrounding all worlds, Umimala Kalalman, or the filler of all worlds, Yichadi La, Yichad Tata, the higher unity, the lower unity. No, you take it from a place of Ayin, you take it from a place of Kula Kaima Kalechashiv, as if nothing exists whatsoever. But on a pshat level, the king says to him, where do you take all of this from? The heishiv lo, and he answers him. So what does this person answer? Ani kol kalkalu. I am able to fix all of those things that are broken. Ki I am incapable of making something perfect or whole. Rak kalkalu. I only have the capacity to fix that which is broken. And I go out in the morning. And I find certain things to fix. And when I accomplish through this a certain amount of money, whether it's five or six coins, I purchase for myself. And I make enough money and I go out and I buy the food and the drink. 
So here lies a certain element of the secret of our host, and our host now has a name. This Jew, this Jew who's happy without a worry in the world, who abides within a dwelling that is sunken into the mud with a broken roof and windows looking out into the dust and the dirt. This Jew who sits with a simple meal in front of him, playing a very humble and silent tune, a koldama madaka on his harp, that one has to attune their ears very slightly to hear. The secret of his blessing is that he fixes broken things. He's a fixer. He's an isha metaken. Now herein lies the first hint to that simcha. Here's a person who is no longer stuck within the myth of perfection. Herein lies a Jew who no longer feels the need to perform in the guise of wholeness. But rather here lies a person who is awoken to the fact that nothing is whole. Everything is broken. Not in some despondent, pessimistic way that says things were once whole and now they're broken, but rather a deep and abiding faith that believes that things are broken and they're broken specifically because we need to have the ability to fix things. And our job in this world is not to make whole things. That I can't do. I can't create anything perfect and I don't even try to create anything perfect. All I do is I walk around the world looking for things that are broken and I try my best to fix those broken things. Now, this language of Dvaram Shinat Kalkalu and Tikkun, that I fix broken things, is very in alignment with the famous teaching from Ibn Nachman in the end of the first volume of Lakuta Maran, that when somebody came to him, when somebody came to Rabbeinu asking for help because they were overwhelmed by the overwhelming nature of this worldly experience, what Rabbi Nachman answered with a kol gadol is, Im atama amin sheyicholim lekalkel, if you believe that you have the capacity to destroy things, then believe that you have the capacity to fix things. And so too here with our fixer, if there are broken things in the world, it is my job to fix them. As Rabbi Nachman teaches us in the first, in the first volume of Lakuta Maran and the fifth teaching, that if it turns out that I need to see this world as if I am the only one in the world, then my first step is how do I fix things? This was the work of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai when he came out of the cave. The first thing he asked was what needs fixing here? because it is axiomatic to the tzaddikim, to the anshe amuna, to the anshe bitachon, that things are broken in need of fixing. And the first thing that a person has to forget about is the myth of perfection. A person has to be able to forget their perfect offering because there is a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. And so he says, I'm able to fix things that are broken and that's how I make my money. Now, it could mean objects, it could mean people, the Aveda of the Tzaddik is to be metaking the brokenhearted, to return those Avedos, to return those lost objects. The Avoda of a Jew is to recognize the lack in the world and to fix that lack in the world. As Rabbi Nachman teaches us as well when it comes to the second beggar in the Maisa Meshiva Habatlarim, the deaf beggar who appears to be deaf and on the second day of Sheva Brachos, he returns back to those children and he says, you thought I was blind, you thought I was deaf rather, I'm not deaf, but rather all of the cries and all of the calls that emerge out of this world don't mean anything to my ears because they all stem from chesronos. They all stem from emptiness and vacuity and a sense of lack. And everything that everybody says is a shry and a sigh and a cry over that which is missing in their lives. And I don't tolerate it whatsoever. I only want to hear sounds of wholeness. I only want to hear sounds of things being fixed. And this second beggar, this blind beggar who corresponds to Yitzchak Avinu, the one who teaches us that it's okay to be broken because that's where laughter comes from. So we see very similarly here that I'm here to fix broken things. I can't make anything whole, but I can fix broken things. And here is where the Melech walks away. And the Melech says, 
When the king hears this, Amar Belibo, the king says in his heart, Akalkelozos. I am going to break this for him. Now, in the attempt to align the world of Rabbi Nachman Sipurim with other worlds of narrative theory, especially purple like Kafka. So this is seen as a capricious moment, that sudden twist of events in the story where this beautiful king and this beautiful person who seemed to be having a wonderful relationship suddenly reveals the ugly side underneath the thin veneer of kindness and the king turns out to be a monster looking to ruin the goodness in this person's life. Now that's how the story has been interpreted by tzaddikim as well as non-tzaddikim. That suddenly here the king comes and he turns an about face and he says, I'm going to ruin this goodness because I'm jealous for the person. And the whole Misa then becomes a way like a story of Eov where a person is trying to come to terms with unjust suffering but nevertheless hold on to faith. But the way I like to read this story Be'ezra Hashem and Be'siyat HaDashmai is a little bit differently. That the king Melech Malchei Amlachim has not a single negative thought about this individual whatsoever. In truth, he's presently surprised by the ability of a yid, of an individual to find Simcha Shlema Beli Daiga Klau, especially in a world of Tzimtzum. That's the Tikkun, to draw Shlemas into Tzimtzum, to draw joy into darkness. And so when the Melech hears and he asks, how do you do this? How do you find this joy? And the individual answers, I fix broken things. What the king, what the Melech Malchei Amlachim wants to do is he says, yeah, that's what you think you have the capacity to do, to look at that which is broken and fix things. Let's see how your skills work out when things get a little bit more broken. Let's reveal your capacity to fix things even there. And then when things get more broken than that, let's reveal your inherent capacity to fix things even there. Until things get so profoundly broken that it's almost impossible to conceive of a way that things can be fixed. But ultimately the entire crux of the story is to reveal that even there, within the unfixable, the fixer has the capacity to fix. The king is not denying the fixer of his joy. The king is attempting to uncover within the fixer the true power of his joy. That not only can you fix things in a world of atzilus where things are clarified, but I will show you and I will reveal to you, says the king, how you can fix things even when there appears to be no path forward. And when you come to understand your true power, then you will come to understand the true simcha that you should have. And it's mistaber in the, le- in the story itself because what does the king say? The king walks away and he says, lozos. I will break this for him. He doesn't say I will ruin it for him. Akalkel and kilkul is the exact language that the fixer used. I fix broken things. I fix devarim mikulkalim. I fix those things that are broken. And the king says, yeah, so let's see. Let's break things a little bit more and ultimately see the true power that rests within each and every one of us to find the secret of wholeness specifically within the broken pieces. And Bezras Hashem, when we go to the next shlav of the story, we'll see what happens when the fixer wakes up the next morning to discover that he can no longer fix the broken things that he's used to fixing. And now he has to go further into the brokenness to reveal an even deeper power of fixing. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. 
For more from the Chef of Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 